0: Progressive ideas, conversations from schools and the newest concepts in education. This is the School Leadership Podcast. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Radio Public, it's the School Leadership Podcast from NAHT and NAHT Edge. Joining James Bowen this month is former Olympic swimmer Steve Parry. Alongside Adrian Turner, Steve's the co-founder of the Total Swimming Academies and believes every child should have the opportunity to learn to swim and to love swimming. With figures showing a very large number of children leaving primary school not knowing how to swim, Steve is on a quest to reverse that. And we start with Steve setting out his background to James.
1: It seems like a, a different life now. I actually retired in 2005. Um, after winning a medal, which was the highlight of my career in 2004 at the Olympics. So, um, yeah, Michael, Michael Phelps won the gold and I was fortunate enough to, uh, to, to win the bronze medal. But I'd spent about, uh, oh, how many years was it, 12 years uh, competing uh, for, for Great Britain and was fortunate enough to win Commonwealth medals, European medals and, and World Championship medals. So I've spent a lot of time around swimming pools, but thoroughly enjoyed every single minute.
2: And so did you start swimming at school or I guess at least school age, it must have been?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I had a really nasty experience when um, I was eight years of age. I mean, I thought it was quite funny at the time, uh, but it was definitely very serious for my parents. We, we went on a holiday um, and they were a bit stingy, my parents. We always had caravan holidays or, or camping holidays. and um, But we had a special holiday going on a barge uh, down the River Thames in, in, in London with my brother and my cousin Pete and my mum and dad. And um, I, I, I had a nasty experience on the last day of falling in whilst we were moving and, and actually holding on to the side of the boat when I was eight years old, not a, not a very competent swimmer. And, you know, everything ended fine. But I, I, I know now that my, my parents were very scared by that situation and, and enrolled me in a local swimming club just to, to learn to swim. And then 20 years after that experience, I was I was fortunate enough to captain Olympic swimming team. So, you know, through through what was a nasty experience came a huge life changing opportunity.
2: I was about to say, from going from at the age of eight, barely being able to swim, falling into the water to being to coming third to Michael Phelps in the Olympics. That, that, that is some journey, isn't it? And, and perhaps gives hope to to. Um... Anybody, any child who's stood in school who perhaps isn't the strongest of swimmer, because it clearly wasn't something that you were just kind of born with, I guess, in that case.
1: No, and, and often it's about opportunity, isn't it? And, you know, that's, that's why teachers inspire me so much. And, you know, proactive parents uh, uh, are amazing. My, my parents are my heroes now because I realise what, what effort they put in and what opportunities they provided me with. And it's same with, it's same with teaching, isn't it? You know, children are given so many opportunities from individuals in their life that are prepared to give up their time to make them better. And, and, you know, that's why I am very, very grateful, but, but you're right. It's, it's never too late to learn a vital life skill of learning to swim, but actually it's much easier. Like a lot of things when you're young and that's why I'm so grateful that it's it is a national curriculum requirement and and well supported by schools
2: and I know you're you're passionate about the subject and the role that schools and, and teachers can play in terms of helping children learn to swim just before we get on to that though i I have to mention because people listening to this won't know um, that as we're speaking today there is a, a major British swimming event going on. And, and just before we started recording, you showed me your background and you have to tell people you're currently commentating uh, on the, this this major event. Can you tell us a bit more about what you're doing today, Steve?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the, the background was a little bit embarrassing, actually, because I'm at, I'm at Media City today, which is where the BBC Sport are stationed. And um, because of COVID, they've stuck us in the Strictly Come Dancing room. So I've got Bruce Forsyth to to one side uh, I've got Holly Willoughby on the other, and a big strictly come dancing globe ball at the at the back of the room. So it's not really conducive to swimming commentary. But unfortunately, we can't be down in London at the live event because of the COVID secure uh, restrictions. But actually, it's not dampening my enthusiasm for the event because you know Adam Peaty has just uh, smashed all before him again, has done the world fastest time uh, at the trials, and I think he's nailed on James to be um olympic champion again uh backing up the gold medal that he got in the rio olympics so the, the guy is just a phenomenon
2: i i guess yeah most people listening will have heard of adam peaty um but what's the sort of state of british swimming currently beyond adam is it is it just about one person is it a bit like when we had andy murray in the tennis it was really just one person everyone else was lagging behind or are we in a healthy position with swimming in this country
1: no, we're really healthy. I'd go as far to say that um, it's probably one of the best British swimming teams that I've known over the last 30 years. So we were we were fortunate to get um, three individual medals uh, at the Rio Olympics. And I think we'll be knocking on the door of uh, certainly three or four uh, individual medals uh, this time as well. Uh, the, the interesting thing is going to be what impact has COVID had on elite sport Um, prior to Tokyo, uh, because I think Britain's done a pretty good job of managing the elite sports environment and allowing people to train. So we might actually have an advantage going into this year's Olympics, which, which could be very helpful.
2: So things going well at the elite level, um, but I know, you know you're particularly interested in. I was going to say the grassroots. I'm not sure what the equivalent is in swimming. It's probably not grassroots. But um, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. but I know you're particularly interested in that. Yeah, you know, at, particularly at the school level. And and you've recently launched a, a new campaign around this. Perhaps you can tell us a bit more about the campaign.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean. My, my interest in school swimming goes back many, many years precisely because of the exp- near drowning experience um, I had when I, when I was a youngster. And I thought that being in a position of being an Olympic medalist, it was really important that I champion school swimming. Um, because unfortunately, pre-COVID, there was 130,000 kids leaving primary school every year unable to swim. And we believe that post-COVID, that's going to go up to 200,000. And the evidence suggests that if kids don't learn to swim in primary school, that they, w- they will never um, learn to swim. But, but, you know, rather than just talking about it, and, you know, I did write a report government in 2017 that gave a whole host of guidelines around what needed to be done on school swimming. I thought it's totally unfair for me to be challenging schools and parents and government if I'm not prepared to do something about it myself. So, so for a long time, I've been running private learn-to-swim programmes that, that Some of which operate out of school pools. And, you know, clearly we make money out of them. So rather than taking the, uh, the money out of the business, we want to reinvest into school pools. Um, so we've just put a million pound um, campaign together uh, to invest in school pools that, that might need it desperately after COVID. And, and the money can be used, James, to go into refurbing changing rooms or doing up the pool sides or even maybe Im- improve, Im- improving the plant equipment. But, but the aim is simple. Let's remove the barriers for kids learning to swim. It's, and, and by keeping school pools open, we believe we'll achieve that.
0: And so
2: with with the COVID impact, do you think, yeah, is this this just a short term blip? So you talk there about, you know, the increased numbers, not being able to swim, which clearly would be a concern. Is that just simply because kids haven't been able to get into pools this year uh, and, and fingers crossed it all goes back to normal? Or is there something a bit more sort of deep rooted going on here, do you think?
1: No, so there's been a long-term slide in attainability levels when it comes to learning to swim in school. And, and for me, not being that close to the school environment, but an interested observer, it would seem that we are putting so much on our head teachers and our deputies and, the, and teachers um, that actually I, I, does is swimming get in the focus that it deserves? Because I could make a really great argument that learning a life skill like swimming in in primary school should be, should be really high on the priority list. But whilst I've said that, I, I also understand the really strong demands that are on school, but I am never going to stop championing the importance of learning to swim in school, because for me as a father of four kids, that's one of the first things that I want them to be able to do.
2: I think you're absolutely right. I think everybody, sort of school leaders listening to this will, will will absolutely agree that they want children to learn to swim. But we'll make that exact point you've just made. You know, the demands on schools are enormous. And it, it almost seems like a week doesn't go by without somebody coming up with a new idea for what, what schools should be teaching and and particularly in light of the pandemic. But is yes. there anything particular? You mentioned this at the report you wrote previously. Is there, Are there any sort of particular things you would like to see schools doing? Uh, that they're perhaps not currently doing or that perhaps only some schools are doing? What, what were sort of the recommendations coming through for schools in that?
1: There, there was a number of recommendations. We, we wanted to see um, money given to um, schools to, to, to be able to uh, train teachers to assist in school lessons. Um, sorry, in, 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 in swimming lessons. We also uh, wanted to improve the monitoring so we understood the picture around school swimming. And actually, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be that all children do swimming lessons. Maybe it should just be that at the end of year six or the end of year five, when, when children, once we've identified the children that can't swim, that they can go at the end of the summer term to learn that vital life skill through what we call a top-up swimming program. And that would be them going every day uh, for a couple of weeks to, to, to learn that skill to, uh, to to get them away. Um, but we were also asking for extra money for schools to, to meet the the swimming requirements as well. So there was, you know, there was 16 recommendations uh, in total, um, but it, it didn't just stick it squarely uh, at school store. We, we also were seeking to remind parents how important it was uh, and their responsibilities in teaching their kids to swim.
2: And what's the role of government in this? I and mean, you've mentioned funding. I guess it's primarily that. Is this about getting, you know, government to fund more swimming pools in schools or, or local pools or maintaining ones that are there? I'm sure there must have been a, a call on government in this as well.
1: There was huge calls on, on on governments and especially around facilities. So we've seen a dwindling of facilities, um, swimming facilities over the last 20 years. The net number of swimming pools is going down year on year, but where we're seeing a particular impact is school swimming pools. Many school swimming pools are being closed to open a central facility in town, and that disproportionately hurts school swimming because the the biggest driver of school swimming numbers are those local school pools, because what they do is they focus on national curriculum swimming. So closing three or four uh, school pools in an area and opening one up centrally Disproportionately affects the attainment levels. So you know, we 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 fight really hard uh, as an organisation against the closure of those facilities.
2: And I know in the in the sort of the press release linked to your campaign, uh, there was a phrase in there which caught my eye. I think you described it as a a potential national disaster, which is obviously pretty strong language. But I mean, you obviously feel really that strongly. Why why are you sort of labelling it a, a national disaster? Is it really something we should be that concerned about? Do you think?
1: Uh, you know, I know that language sounds dramatic, but in the context of the problem, it's really not. Um, globally, kids drowning or, or people drowning kills 90% as many people as malaria does. You know, there there, there are huge numbers. When it comes to kids um, dying, the third biggest cause of children's death is drowning. You know, this, we, this is a... Life skill issue for for our children, and that's why I will always argue its importance have been the top of the priority list. I think I think the only debate to be had is is the school setting the area where where the kids' life skills should, should should be picked up. If it's not, we need an answer to where else it's going to be uh, picked up. But there were 400 drownings in in Great Britain uh, last year, and that's a pretty consistent number. And accidental deaths among kids uh, behind road traffic ac- accidents, swimming is right up there. The other thing, I suppose, is the
2: other side of the argument is just the, the enjoyment that lots of children um, get out of this. And I know not all there'll be, you know, I've, I've talked swimming myself when I was a, a, a junior school teacher and not all children enjoyed it. But for some children, it was the, the absolute best lesson of the week. It was the one lesson they look forward to more than any other. And I guess that just that enjoyment side of it, like you do with other uh, sporting activities in school is, is a key part of it as well I'm sure
1: yeah absolutely and this is this is a, something that stays with them it's not only a life skill this this offers a huge amounts of joy you know whether it be going with your family for a swim or when you're on holiday uh, being able to be in the water and and, and, and have a great time yeah I, I think if you ask kids and families to think of some of the fun fondest memories that they've got together I, I would lay a fairly large bet that it is in and around water and, and, and having, ha, having fun together. So it's not only the life skill elements, it is also the enjoyment um, that you get out of it. And and let's not forget that, you know, we, are, there is a responsibility on our kids to keep them healthy and safe. If COVID's taught us anything, it's it's taught us about being healthy. And there is no better activity for our children to do than swimming in terms of um, burning calories keeping them healthy uh, and it's something that'll stay them right, right through life so you know I, I understand that there are a lot of pressures but swimming does tick an awful lot of boxes
2: and uh, do you think that it, it needs sort of specialist coaching uh, I mean again I'm just thinking back to my own experience where we we did a relatively short course and, and learned to teach swimming ourselves because we were lucky enough to have a, a pool in the school but Uh, Do you think, you know, teachers who are teaching the range of subjects, it should be they who are doing the swimming lessons, or or would pupils benefit from having real sort of specialist coaching in there? Do you have a view on that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's a clear model on this, and that is that there should be a specialist swimming teacher in there, level two or level three qualified uh, swimming teacher leading the lessons. So, you know, if you've got a group of 30 kids, uh, it would probably be best to have a couple of trained uh, teachers in in there, swimming teachers in there. However, having said that, there is a CPD course that can be done uh, for uh, teachers uh, to be able to do a course where they can assist and and deliver a swimming lesson to to those that can swim. And what that then does, it it allows the trained uh, professional swimming teacher to concentrate on those that cannot swim, whilst those in the class uh, can crack on swimming, swimming lengths and, and learning different skills.
2: And do we have enough of those sort of trained specialists, the, sort of the level two and three um, sort of coaches you refer to? D- would that require a sort of a, a big training programme or, or are those people already out there?
1: Um, no, there is a, there is a shortage. And, and whilst thousands of swimming teachers get trained every year, a lot of them are um, students themselves between 16 and 18 years of age that that are doing it before they go to university. So there is a high volume turnover of of swimming teachers that are lost every year, and and we need to keep up with that demand.
2: And how confident are you that you can, if you like, get the government to kind of wake up to this one? Because I think one of the things we've, we've kind of probably agreed upon is that there is going to be a, a need for a funding injection here. It will be that you know, if that's for for the pools themselves or, or training the the coaches. It, uh, do you get the impression that government are, are, are listening to the campaign that they'll they'll respond to this and they'll invest in it?
1: Um, I I don't think it gets anywhere near the attention that it that it, that it deserves and that it that it warrants. And uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, COVID is everything at the moment, isn't it? Grabbing everyone's attention. And um, the thing that I really worry about, James, is that we might. We might wake up in a couple of years' time to have lost ten to fifteen percent of our school swimming facilities, and really exacerbated this national curriculum issue when it comes to uh, school swimming. And and do you know what? I'm I'm getting tired of asking, um, and that's why we've done the fund ourselves. And whilst it's only a drop in a drop in the ocean, if we can help save ten to fifteen uh, school pools, we, we we would consider that a success. But actually, we hope that people follow our model uh, because the private sector does have a role to play in this and there are people out there similarly to ourselves doing learn to swim programs that can support schools
2: and you mentioned the fund there is that set up in a way if there are people listening who are who want to find out more who've got a pool or what have you can they can they find out about that or does it come from from your end how does that work
1: no, absolutely. People just need to go on, and, and if they're interested in it, go to Total Swimming uh, Academies. And this isn't like a grant process that takes uh, months and months. If if the if they send their request into Total Swimming Academies, it'll be assessed uh, within a week, and they'll they'll know the next week as to whether we can help or not.
2: Well, fantastic. I hope, I hope you get inundated for <laughs> as a result of this podcast. Yeah. That, would, that would be nice. And that even if you can't support them, all, we can point people in the right direction. Um, so I suppose a final question for me in that case, you know, that, yeah, we are aware. Yeah, We know that there are governing bodies and school leadership teams out there at the moment looking at their budgets and thinking, can I afford to keep the pool I've got open? You know, for those who are lucky enough to have them, and, and certainly not the majority do, but for those who do, they're looking at the budget and thinking, how on earth do I make this work? And they, there might be people out there at this moment considering whether or not it's time to close the pool and, and fill it in and, and do something else. What would your message to
1: those people be? Please, please keep that facility open. You know, it's a, it's a valuable community asset. Please use it to its potential. So if it's not being used from eight o'clock in the morning till, till nine o'clock at night, um there is actually spare revenue that's being left on the table that can actually help the school as opposed to it being seen as a, as a huge drain of cost. So for me, that's the first thing. Let's use the asset to assist the school in generating funds rather than costing funds. The second thing is, uh, you know, um, school swimming, being on the national curriculum, teaching kids to swim 25 meters is absolutely brilliant. These are vital life skills that keep kids safe. And and thirdly, um, it's a huge amount of fun for them and also an amazing way to keep our children healthy because, as as we referred to uh, before, we do have a bit of um, an obesity issue with our general school uh, population. It'd be great to keep them them active. Um, But whilst teachers do have so much more on, I just want to thank everyone for the work that is already being done in this area because as, as I said back to my experiences in the beginning, it, it takes people like teachers and, and parents to be invested in children to get the best out of them. So my, my overriding message to head teachers and deputies and, and teachers overall is just thank you so much. And the reason I say that is I didn't say thank you enough whilst I was going through my journey to be an Olympian to those people like Mr. Reese, my PE teacher, uh, I missed the Tittersell, the first guy that got me in the pool uh, in in the first place. Um, I missed the opportunity to say thank you enough, so I'd like to say thank you now.
2: That's brilliant. And and Steve, thank you so much for your time today, and good luck um, with the work you're doing. I, I hope it's successful. And it, it's such an important cause, uh, and good luck with the rest of the commentary today. I hope the uh, British team continue to impress.
1: Thanks so much for your time, James. Appreciate it.
0: For regular and useful content on the teaching profession, it has to be the School Leadership Podcast. The School Leadership Podcast.
1: The Total Swimming website
0: is totalswimming.co.uk and you can see more about pools for schools and the Make a Splash programme on there, totalswimming.co.uk and that conversation was between Steve Parry and James Bowen. Our thanks, of course, to you for listening to the podcast. You can, of course, make it easy to access All of the upcoming episodes of the School Leadership Podcast by clicking on subscribe on any of the major podcast sites. And something that's really useful are your reviews and your feedback too. If you can leave one, that would be great and much appreciated. NEHT is a professional association and union for schools. NEHT Edge is the part of our association aimed specifically at aspirational middle leaders. To discover more about the benefits of being an NAHT Edge or NAHT member, go online to NAHTEdge.org.uk forward slash join or www.neht.org.uk forward slash join. Our Twitter accounts are at NAHTEdge and at NAHT News, where you'll find news on events, workshops, conferences and naturally conversations around schools and school leadership. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back in a month's time. Take care. From NAHT and NAHT Edge, the School Leadership Podcast.